four different approaches to awakening. I've seen all of these work and I've seen them work many times. So everyone's a little different as far as what their interest in awakening revolves around, what drives it, how they perceive mind and thought, how they perceive life, and what they're interested in. So based on these different characteristics and situational conditions, you may find it more approachable to choose one of these methods over another. So I'm just gonna roughly uh, define each method and you may find that one of those makes the most sense to you. So the first method is what I would call surrender. This is often the approach someone takes when life has just been really rough. Like nothing really has worked for this person. They've worked hard at life, they've worked hard at doing all the things you're supposed to do, but somehow it just kept falling apart. And often these people have had a significant amount of trauma in their life. And so the quote unquote decision to just let go completely into where your instinct wants to take you is not a hard one. Because what are you really letting go of? You're just letting go of a lot of struggle, a lot of pain. Now, there is some overlap between all these methods, but for some people, this one is very prominent. And people I encounter who are sort of set up for this, often all they really need to hear is that it's okay. It's okay to let go. It's okay to turn your attention to that intuition that's been calling you the whole time. That's been trying to help you completely unbind from the narrative that feels like your life. It can be a sort of scary place, but at the same time, it feels very familiar. It feels right. And often just telling a person who's set up for this that it's okay. Just face that, face that unknown that's been calling you the whole time and let go is mostly what's required. They don't need a technique. They don't need an inquiry often. They don't think in terms of spirituality often or certain spiritual practices or groups. They just instinctually know where to go. And sometimes it's just a matter of saying, it's okay, you can go there. You can just really let go into that. So that's the first method. Now, before I move on, I will say that that first method has a feel to it. Feels like really dropping out of the known, a, a tremendous release. And that does come into play with all of the other methods or usually does to various degrees. So there's a lot of overlap, but often that comes late. So just know that there is overlap here and this first method, this method of just completely letting go, it may not be accessible right away, but sometimes with some practice or with some other type of inquiry, all of a sudden you feel that. You know where to go instinctually, beyond mind, beyond thoughts, beyond any narratives. And then that will come into play. So method number two. Method number two is self-inquiry. Self-inquiry as taught by Ramana Maharishi and others. It's simply becoming curious about who you are, what you are, or even where you are, but not in a conceptual way. 
So the method is simple and I have many videos on it and there are other resources, including Ramana's book, which is very short called, Who Am I? But you can simply notice a thought and ask yourself, to whom does that thought refer? Or for whom did that thought arise? Or even to whom did that thought occur? Did that thought occur? Meaning, who just became aware of that thought? And just look there. And if the mind gets quiet, that's a good thing. But if another thought arises saying, well, I did. I had that thought. I became aware of that thought. Or that thought's about me. It's imperative to recognize that's the next thought. And then you can ask, who am I? If that thought's about me, so be it. But who am I? And then just try to look where it feels like you are. Or try to rest where it feels like you are. Rest back in the sense of the one who's aware, who's curious, to whom all these thoughts seem to point back to. Where? Where is that? Feel into that. Find it. Or just keep asking the question when a thought arises. For whom did this thought arise? To whom did this thought occur? And then look. Okay, that's method two. Method three, which does overlap the other methods, especially method two, is to become curious about the nature of thought itself. This I describe pretty clearly in my book. But just become alert to thoughts. Once you notice one thought is untrue or one thought is not actually about you, just seeing the randomness of thoughts sometimes, then you can become curious, well, if one thought's not about me, how do I know any of the thoughts are about me? What if no thought has truth value? Meaning it's neither true nor false. It's simply a way that consciousness seems to be bound into a perception in a moment. But we can back out of that. We can notice that's one thought. A thought that says I'm confused. Okay, well, that's a thought. A thought that says I know what's going on here. Well, that's another thought. A thought that says I'm a Buddhist. Well, there's another thought. So we just notice thought after thought. And the more we notice the thoughts, the more we start to feel instinctually that we are not those thoughts, clearly. But we don't have to conclude that. We don't have to conclude anything about I. Some people don't have a strong sense of I such that self-inquiry is not that interesting. But rather, just keep disidentifying from those thoughts, one by one by one. And be really alert for the background thoughts, the ones that are narrative in nature, that feel familiar, like, well, I always get this far and then I get bound up in thought again. Well, what if that's another thought? Now what, right? Do you see how that frees up your experience immediately? So this is how we do it. Just become alert to thoughts. Soon as a thought arises, become aware of it as such. It's a thought. It's not defining experience. It's not defining what you are. It's not defining anything. And do it again and again and again. And then all of a sudden there's a knowing, a knowingness that is completely 
independent of thoughts. Don't make a conclusion about it because that would be another thought, but I'm gonna call it consciousness for now so that I can talk about it. But as that consciousness or that, let's say awareness, starts to come into clarity, then typically things get very quiet. The mind gets very quiet. But you have to remain alert to the stirring of the next thought or any thought. Because the re-identification can happen kind of sneakily as long as there's still some belief that a thought is going to save you, help you, get you anywhere, including to something called awakening. You have to just keep disidentifying from thought after thought after thought, including a thought that says, I'm gonna get somewhere. A thought that's imagining an outcome, imagining what awakening will be like, imagining what enlightenment is, comparing yourself to another that says, well, other people get it, why don't I? All of those are thoughts. But if it feels familiar to you, you often won't notice it as a thought. So you have to be really alert, vigilant here. This is method three. Method four is you actually look for where you are, right? There's a sense of I, obviously, starting out, right? And if you say, well, I don't have a sense of I. Okay, well, who is it that doesn't have a sense of I? <laughs> who thinks that's true, right? So there's something there that feels like a self or an I. That's fine. Look for it. And look for it in the only places you can actually look for anything. Look for it in the senses, the five senses, and look for it in consciousness or the space of thinking. Do you find it anywhere? But you have to keep looking. And often you won't find it right away. And you can conclude, oh, well, it's not there. There is not, there's not an I. But no shift has happened. It's just another belief. The I sense that you haven't conclusively either found or in a very instinctual way realized you're not going to find is the one that believes there's no self or there's no I. So don't fall for that. You have to keep looking until something literally changes in experience. Well, I feel like a me. I feel like I'm here. Well, where the hell am I then? So look, am I in that thought? Okay, well, the thought wasn't there. Then it was there. Then it wasn't there. But I didn't go anywhere. I was there before, during, and after. Well, then I'm not that thought. And I'm not that thought, and I'm not that thought, okay? That's the netty-netty approach, it's fine. But it doesn't always do the whole job. You have to keep looking, right? So you can convince yourself I'm not the thoughts, that's fine, but that's not awakening. Keep looking. Okay, do I find an I in the sound? Do I find a self in the sound? Doesn't seem to be there. How about in the sensations, right? That's it, that's, you look for the self. Where am I? That's number four. And I'm gonna give you a bonus, number five. Number five is a sort of one-pointed approach. And again, all of these can overlap in various ways. Maybe I'll make a video about how they overlapped for me, but the one-pointed approach is becoming so singular in your focus that the mind just goes absolutely quiet. And an example of this is the koan mu in Zen. What is mu? You're told a story about it. I won't even tell the story because the story doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with it. 
And then after the story, the question is, well, then what is Mu? And you usually know, maybe traditionally they didn't know, and they'd have to sort this out by asking the Zen teacher again and again. But sooner or later they realize it's not conceptual at all. There's no conceptual answer. But nowadays, I think you're pretty much told that from the beginning. There's not a conceptual answer for what is Mu, but there's an answer. There is an answer. And you might even be told that that answer is Kensho. Without a shift in identity, without awakening, without Kensho, it's not answered. So the combination of the drive to know that there could actually be an answer to this, and knowing it's definitely not conceptual, I can't think my way into this, fueled by that, that suffering, right? That mass of suffering. This is a perfect combination to wake up, but you have to become one-pointed till there's just move. There's only move. There's no one contemplating move anymore. You become completely one with it till there's just move. And you have to stay there, not move away from it at all. Not one millimeter. Just move. That's a good place to be. That's the one-pointed approach. So there you go, five ways to wake up. Let me know which ones worked for you.